0: what well, it's been said that there are certain things that you can do, certain habits that you can build into your routine that will change your life, will make you more productive, will, will, will make you healthier. You know, I was talking with a pastor buddy this week, and we were talking about making your bed. And, and you might not know this or not, but making your bed is one of those habits that research has shown. That if you make your bed every morning, that it actually increases your productivity. You're more likely to eat a healthy breakfast. If you make your bed, you're more likely to go to the gym. If you make your bed, you're more likely to stick to your budget and get a good night's sleep. Some of you guys are like, man, did I make my bed before? If you had to think about it, you probably didn't, right? It's what we call keystone habits. Somebody say keystone habits. Yeah, there was a book that came out recently called The Power of Habit. It talks about these ideas, this idea of these habits that we can put in that lead to productivity in our life. So a keystone habit is a small or habit that, that people introduce into the routines that will unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their life, like making your bed. A number of years ago, there was a Navy SEAL giving a commencement speech at the University of Texas, and his name was... Um, his name was uh, William McCraven, and here's what he said. He said this, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. Now, how many of you woke up this morning saying, making the bed is the key to my life being changed, right? To change in the world. But it's a small keystone habit that builds integrated things in your life. And I, and I don't know about you, but I think we, be, we have these things or we've experienced these things before. I know, I know for me, it's getting a workout and at a gym. You know, they they say that that really losing weight, being in shape, seventy five percent diet, twenty five percent exercise. But for me, I need to go to the gym. If I go to the gym, I feel like I'm better at saying no to those little, you know, those little cute little Reese's pumpkins that you got to see this time of year that just happen to be lying on your counter at home, right? Or like, how many? Where do we land on candy corn, by the way? How many of you guys like candy corn in here? It's like three of you. Okay, well, I think we know how we feel about candy corn, but it's candy corn season, by the way. But you know, like going to the gym, I sleep better, I get more done, but when I don't go to the gym, and those little Reese's peanut butter cups are lying on the counter, I don't just eat one, I eat like 12, right? You guys are like, amen, brother, you've been there. But like, seriously, what is a keystone habit for you? What are some things that you can do that you've done, that you put into your life, and you find that it actually makes you better? Now, I've got a problem when it comes to habits, though, and I imagine most of you don't have this problem. This is probably just me that has this problem, but I find that when I start to develop a new habit and it goes well, all of a sudden, I start to get a little full of myself, right? Again, I'm sure this doesn't happen to you guys, but I start going to the gym several days in a row, and all of a sudden, I'm walking around like Bilbo Baggins with the ring of power hanging on my neck, right? Like, I just feel untouchable. I start eating well, and I start dressing like Harry Styles for some weird reason, you know, it's like I end up getting a little more prideful. Any of that ever happened to you guys? Like, why is that? Like, really, why does this happen to us? You know, the idea of a keystone habit is you guys ever walked under an archway? Here's a picture. So you walk under an archway, and it's what holds the arch up, these habits, and so we need these things to anchor us in our lives. But yet, for some reason, when we start to get really good at things, we start to get successful or taste some, uh, s- some, some wins, we get built up and prideful. Why? Well, if you'd listen to what social science has a habit of saying, that basically what happens is that we have this wiring where we fall into a self-centeredness. You guys are probably familiar with Sigmund Freud. He was an Austrian neurologist, and he had a lot of ideas about psychology. And what, here, Here's what Freud would say. Freud said that we're all born with what's called primary narcissism. And it's this inward bent, this self-centeredness, this innate tendency to be self-centered, which is present from the earliest stages of life. And the reason is because loving oneself is the instinct of self-preservation. And you know this is true when you look at little ones, right? And if you guys have toddlers at home, you know this is true, right? You see two little toddlers, and one of them takes a, takes a toy truck from the other one, and what does the kid do? Pushes them down and steals their pacifier and stands over them like the undertaker, right? <laughs> Why do they do that? I thought little babies were born sinless and cute and perfect, right? Not my little ones. They're like wretched, right, sinners. <laughs> it's like, man, watch out for that kid. Don't let them get a hold of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But here's the thing. When we get older... Do we get better at it? No. We just get better at hiding it, right? We get better at disguising it. And so how are we supposed to do with this? Like if if, if the world in culture and social science says, well, you're just born this way. You're born wired to be self-centered. Do we just accept it? And do we just say, okay, this is just who I am? Like, yeah, I can treat other people nicely as long as they don't intrude on my space. And I can take care of other people as long as it doesn't cost me too much. And that's just the way that life is. Or is there something more to it than that? See, I think if we, if we asked God this question and we said, God, give us some wisdom on this, he would say this. He would say that we were not created for self-centered, selfish, egotistic pride. That we were actually created to live in community. That's what Jesus taught. But The problem is that we live in a sinful world, right? That's broken by sin. That every one of us, the day we take our first breath, has been born with a sin nature that inwardly drifts towards what I want and what I need, and doesn't really care too much about you. So I guess the question is, how do we fight this, and how do we change course? To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, he would say this, we have to find and seek humility, and he would say that humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, and I love that idea. The Bible has a lot to say about pride and about humility, and I love that idea about us thinking less about ourselves, but I don't know about you guys, but I think a lot about myself during the day. So how do we get better, and is it possible to not think less of ourselves, but think, think of ourselves less? Well, today we're going to meet a character in the greater story who's going to show us that, yes, it is possible. We're going to meet a man by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to show us that, that there is a formula for fixing this problem. So if you have your Bibles, I want you guys to turn with me here to, Mar- or to Mark Mark chapter one. And in Mark chapter one, we're going to see this, this picture uh, of John the Baptist. And I think if we can grasp this idea, it can take us from people who always go me first to learning how to, to find fulfillment, joy, and peace in life. And we're going to see that through the life of John the Baptist. So, so Mark chapter one. If you were with us last week, we are in the, midst, in the middle of a series called The Greater Story, walking through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And we're now in the New Testament. We have made our way to uh, the, the promised one, the Savior, the, the King, the Messiah, Jesus is here. And so last week we, we saw the, the story surrounding uh, the, the birth of Jesus. But I want to zoom back just a bit. If you remember back to when we finished our Old Testament series, we said that that after the Jews returned from exile, there was this period of silence, 400 years of silence, where God didn't speak through any prophets, where God had said all these promises, but yet we were waiting on Jesus to be born. But the very last thing that God said through the prophet Malachi, 400 years before Jesus was born, was this. Look here, Malachi 4, verse 5. God says this. He says, Look, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so the, the, the faithful Jewish people, they, they kind of understood what this meant. They, Elijah was one of the famous prophets who lived during the time of the Old Testament. And so they're looking forward to this time that Elijah comes. Yet 400 years go by, and no Elijah, no Savior. No Messiah. And then we meet John the Baptist. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the name John the Baptist. Uh, he's one of the most well known characters in the Bible. He was actually surrounded by a miraculous birth. His mother was Elizabeth, and his father was Zechariah, and they were older in age. And the angel Gabriel came and told him they were going to have a baby, and Zechariah didn't believe it. So he didn't, you know, the angel wouldn't let him speak until the baby was born and when he said, His name's John. And John was this interesting guy. John grew up, and he lived a pretty rugged life. I think he would have fit it pretty well here in Colorado, actually. You know, he was, he, it says that he wore camel hair, and he wore a leather belt, so translate that to modern-day Patagonia hiking shirts and chaco sandals, right? You know, he, he, he ate locusts and wild honey, so he ate, you know, bobo bars and, and cliff bars. And, you know, I think he would have really lived in well. He modeled the first-century keto diet, but he felt like God was calling him to be that forerunner. To prepare the way for Jesus. So let's read about John the Baptist. And then God's going to show us the formula to fulfillment. So check this out. John the, or Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 1, talking about John the Baptist. Notice what Mark says. He says this. He says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messengers before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So the first thing Mark says is he quotes a prophecy from Isaiah, like 700 years before, about this Isaiah, or this Elijah-type character, John the Baptist. And he says this, verse 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, and he preached saying, I'll give this to you in a second. And he preached saying, the one who comes after me is mightier than I. So, so we see John, he has a pretty big following. He's kind of a celebrity in the first century. And again, he, he's this rugged, interesting guy, and people traveled him out to hear him preach. Now, quick news flash: John's last name wasn't Baptist. Yeah, you guys might have figured that out by now. He's John the Baptist. He was John the baptizer. So if you know anybody with last name Baptist, they're probably not descendants of John. But, but John the, the, the Baptist, he was out baptizing people, and he was preaching this message of repentance. And people were coming all out. And here's what he was saying. The Savior's going to come. The one that God promised, he's coming. So get your hearts ready. And the way you get your heart ready is by repenting and then being baptized. And a lot of people loved John, but there was a group that didn't. It was the group of the religious elite, like the Pharisees and the the Sadducees. And they would come and and they would hear John speak. And they liked what he had to say, but then John would call him out. He would say, but you, you guys are vipers you guys are the sons of vipers. You guys are just calling God's people to stumble. He said, get your heart right. Repent and get baptized. So this is how John was preparing the way for Jesus. I don't think nobody knew yet, but they just knew that this was his character out in the wilderness talking about baptism and repentance. And he's saying, get your heart right. Now, Now, this idea of repentance, this is one that for some of us, we understand it very clearly, but for others, I think, it's like, well, what does that really mean? What does it mean to be repentant? Like, you'll see this theme through the Bible, talk about, like, repent. Like, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's speaking at Pentecost, after Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended to heaven, people are like, well, what do we need to do to get saved, Peter? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. It's kind of what John's saying, right? So what does this repentance really mean? Well, quickly, if you're taking notes, to repent simply means to change your mind. Somebody say that, change your mind. So to repent means to change your mind. It's just, what are we changing our minds from? Well, we're changing our minds from doing it our way to doing it God's way. So when the Bible says that we need to confess, which means we need to admit that we messed up, and we need to repent, it simply just means we need to realize that, like, well, that was stupid. (laughs) Like, the way I did it was my way, and that didn't work. God, I'm going to turn 180 degrees, and I'm going to turn and do it your way. So, So this is what John was calling for people to do. Confess your sins, be contrite, feel sorry over your sin, and then turn and trust that God has it the right way. And so then he would go and he would baptize them to symbolize that. I want to ask this question while we're talking about repentance and talking about John. When you think about your faith and you think about your repentance, you think about this idea of like confessing sin and repenting and all that, like where do you land on it? Like, has there been a time in your life where you've actually. It felt like sorrow over sin. Has every time in your life when you, not just like consequences from sin, because we all feel those too, like, man, that was dumb, but like sorrow, like contrition. You, you, you look and you say, man, I, I need an attitude of repentance. God, I am sorry. My way is not working. I'm going to repent and change my mind and turn to you because, God, your way is what gives us the blueprint for life and the path for joy. Like, have you guys done that? Has there been a time? When you've realized that God's way is the right way. And we've confessed and we've repented. Because the Bible says that that is how we, get, it's how we put our faith in Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying no to me, and I'm saying yes to him. So we, we see this idea. Like, John is calling people to a hard attitude of repentance. and A repentant heart shows trusting in Jesus. So John's calling people to repent and, and be baptized. And I, and I know this isn't a, ma- a message on baptism, let's talk about baptism while we're at it, right? We might as well. We're talking about John the Baptist. And so John is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And, and so there's a lot of thoughts about baptism. Many of you have grown up in different faith traditions, and there's probably different views on baptism that you maybe heard or experienced as a kid, or, or, or maybe Four Friends is really the first church you've ever been a part of, and so you may only know really kind of what we believe about baptism. And so I think it's good to talk about, because baptism is, is interesting, because baptism is not a foreign idea to the first century Jews. When John is baptizing, people get it, what it means. So the Greek word for baptism means baptizo. Somebody say baptizo. baptizo. So when you go home later today, and you make your buffalo cheese dip for the Broncos game, and you wash your dishes, you're going to baptizo them dishes, right? <laughs> baptizo. It just means, what baptizo means is just to submerge. To immerse, you're going to baptizo your genes after you spill ketchup on them later, right? So it's this idea, and the first century Jews would have understood this, because if you were a Gentile, which means non-Jew, living in the first century, and you said you wanted to become Jewish, you had to be baptized. That was part of the ceremony. And so you would be baptized, and it was the symbol that you would be washing away your old life. So baptism was this idea that, that you were saying, I'm an outsider, and I renounce my former ways, and I embrace the God of the Bible. That would be what it means to be baptized. So when John is baptizing in the desert, he basically saying, "Come on out, renounce your old ways, repent, confess your sin, repent, and get baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Get your heart right before God, because the Messiah is coming." So depending upon your faith tradition, again, you might have some different views on baptism. But here's what we believe at forefront is that baptism is a symbol. It's symbolic, just like it was for the Jews and just like it's going to be for Jesus here in a minute, where he gets baptized and it's a symbol of our faith in God. It's a symbol that I'm renouncing my old ways That I'm saying goodbye to my old self and I'm now turning and looking to Jesus. So here at Forefront, we're 100% firm on what we see here in John the Baptist and Jesus in that baptism is by immersion for a believer. So when you say yes to Jesus, when you repent and get saved, then you get baptized because it symbolizes your faith in Jesus and it tells the world that you are a believer. See, baptism is a symbol that shows the world we said yes to Jesus. Remember Matthew 28, if you know that scripture, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations and what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them all I've commanded you. Jesus says, go teach people about me. When they say yes to me, have them get baptized and then teach them what it looks like to follow me. And so I think this is the picture that we see. And here's where my heart is on this, guys. I think there's been too many faith traditions that have taught that baptism saves. And there's a lot of people who are spending eternity separated from Jesus, not because they said yes to Jesus, but because they thought they were saved because they got sprinkled with water or they got dipped in the water. I think what Jesus is saying is, no, we are saved by faith, by grace through faith. We say yes to Jesus, and God's grace is what saves us. It's not the quality or the quantity of our faith. It's by saying, yes, Jesus, I confess my sin, I repent of my sin, and I turn to you. And then God's grace saves us. And then we get baptized to say, "Woo, I did it, I'm saved. But we aren't saved because we got baptized. And so my encouragement to you guys, if, if, if you guys can't say that after saying yes to Jesus, I was baptized, I encourage you, come talk to us. We'd, this fall when we do baptisms, we'd love to dunk you, Right? We'd love to get you a little wet so you can say, woo-woo. We can all cheer and high-five and eat cake, right? It's a good day. It's definitely a good day. So here's John the Baptist. He's he's calling people to repent and to baptize in the Jordan River, and I love verse 7. Notice what he says again in verse 7. I, I read it a little too early. Here we go. Verse 7, he says this. He says, and after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. He's talking about the Messiah. I have baptized you with water, John says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John says one is coming, but this time it's the one. And who's he talking about, church? Jesus. So yeah, let's say that again. That was good. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. So he's, he's saying, hey, look, it's not me. I'm John. I'm not Jesus. And so, so notice what happens. This is beautiful. I love this. And so Mark 1, verse 9, look at this setup. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And what's cool is all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about Jesus' baptism. So this is important that we talk about. We don't want to miss this one. So all four of them talk about this. I want to flip to Matthew because I love how Matthew talks about Jesus' baptism here. So flip, if you want to, flip to Matthew 3. And uh, by the way, Something cool happens in every book in chapter 3, right? John 3, Matthew 3, Luke 3. So just if you're looking for something good, chapter 3, okay? Chapter 3. All right, so look here, Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came up from Galilee to John, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And it and, and says John would have prevented him, saying, well, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So John's just, you know baptizing people, and here Jesus comes. And he's like, you know, John recognizes it. Now, here's an interesting fact. John and Jesus were cousins. So if you go back to early in the book of Luke, we see that Mary goes down when she finds out she's pregnant to Elizabeth, her cousin, who is also pregnant, and that when Elizabeth sees Mary, she feels like her stomach jumps. And the Bible tells us that John, the Holy Spirit, basically stirred up John to do a backflip in the womb. Which is cool. If you are my moms, you're like, it's not cool. But it's cool, right? It's cool. So we don't know how much time they spent together, though. Like, there's some theories that they knew each other, they didn't know each other, that when John saw him, he's like, oh, yeah, that's my cousin Jesus. But whatever it was, we know, I'm assuming the Holy Spirit comes on John, he's like, wow, that's, that's the one. It's like, that's Neo, right? It's like Morpheus, like, that's Neo. Like, here, Neo, here's green and blue, which one? So, so Jesus comes, and John's like, I can't baptize you. Like, you need to be baptizing me. And notice what Jesus says. Verse 15, he says this. Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented and he baptized Jesus. What does that mean? All righteousness? Does it mean if I don't get baptized, I'm not righteous? I thought baptism was a symbol. Here's what it means. Last week we talked about how Jesus was born supernaturally and how important that is. That he was the divine son of God. And so here's now is the divine son of God, who doesn't have a sin nature, going to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That might not make sense to us. But remember, when you get baptized, you are identifying as an outsider coming in. That's what Jesus is doing for us. Jesus is taking on our likeness. He took on our form, and he goes and he gets baptized to identify with us as sinners who need to be saved. How sweet is that? Jesus says, I'm going to be like you guys, an outsider, and I'm going to go ahead and get baptized, because this is what I want you guys to do, too, to symbolize that you've been justified by God and forgiven of your sin. So Jesus wants to identify with us. Jesus' mission is to fix what is broken, so he took on our form. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become, Bible quiz kids, the righteousness in God. Jesus talked about that when he got baptized. If that doesn't stir you up, sit on it because it will. It's amazing. Jesus didn't just go to the cross. Jesus come on, and came in and took everything that you do and did it the right way for you. And part of that was him being baptized. He said, I'm gonna take on your outsideness so I can bring you back into my kingdomness. And it's beautiful. And I think that's the reality of where we stand as, as people, guys. We need to recognize that we were born with a sin nature. We were born without being able to reach to God. It doesn't matter how much we do, how high we climb, how many good deeds we do, we can never overcome the cavernous divide of sin, and Jesus came and did it for us. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he was saying, guys, I'm going to defeat death for you. And when he rose from the grave, he said, new life is available in me. And so when we say yes to Jesus, I will confess my sin and repent of it and turn to you, Jesus says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which means I'm going to flood your body with the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to walk on the new path of life. Guys, if you're here today, if you're tuning in online, if you've never said yes to Jesus, say yes today. Because that's the only way we'll ever experience the peace, joy, and fulfillment we were created for. And it's the only way that God-sized hole in our heart will ever be filled. I'd love to talk to you about it. Any of our elders or Darren would love to talk to you about it too. So John is here. He he's, goes in the water. And n- notice this. Notice what happens with Jesus' baptism. This is so cool. Verse 16, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down to rest on him. Now, the Bible loves, remember, we got to read the Bible literarily. It's literature. This is a metaphor. There wasn't really a dove, right? There wasn't like this little dove that came down. It's the metaphor of like that God's spirit comes and lands on Jesus. Just like last Thursday when Patrick Mahomes threw that touchdown pass and it just slowly drifted into the arms of the receiver for a touchdown. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just like that. Oh. <laughs> or just like, you know, when you're flipping those pancakes on Saturday morning for your kids and you flip it and it's just like time. You know, like it was graceful. Like the, he was just saying there was like this special moment the Holy Spirit came down on him, right? And then so, so notice what happens. The Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus and then notice God speaks. It says in verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Church, who's he talking about again? Jesus. So he says, I am so well pleased. Now, we don't know how this sounded, right? It could have been like, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? Like Simba, right? <laughs> and it could have been like some kind of inaudible thing, but it's known because all four of the guys are like, oh my gosh, like, we heard God. and well, I think John heard it too. Because notice this, back in John 1, 29, it says this, that the next day, check this verse out, this is great. The next day, Jesus walks back up John, and notice what John says. John was there to baptize Jesus. Notice how John responds. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I think John heard it too. I don't, I don't know. I'm not theologically 100% on that, but I think John heard it too. And So John said, this is the one I came for. Like, I came to tell people about this guy. And there's this really cool symbolism here. I can't spend much time on it with Jesus, but remember, when God rescued Israel from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, Kind of like baptism. Like they crossed through the water to get to the other side and they could look back and they could see their old life and they could look forward and see their new. Well, well, baptism is kind of like that. Like there's a symbolism here that Jesus is creating a new people with baptism that identify with him. And baptism is also like crossing. It's like when we get baptized, it's the symbol of our old life and our new life, right? We're buried with Jesus and we're raised to walk in newness of life. So after you've been baptized as a believer, you can look back and go, man, that was my old life when I was." I'm not saved, and I was a mess. And I'm still a mess, but at least I'm saved, right? Now I have this new life ahead of me. And, and so there's this cool symbolism here. But, but So notice this. There's this really cool exchange between John and Jesus. And John recognized that Jesus was the one he's been preparing the way. But then something happens. Something really interesting happens. Jesus and his disciples start baptizing people too. Which it was it's right for Jesus to baptize people. Could you imagine being baptized by Jesus, by the way? Like, how ridiculous would that be, you know? And so... They start baptizing, too. And notice, John's disciples, they're concerned now. And they come up to Jesus. And, and look at this. John 3, like I said, chapter 3. John 3, 26. Notice this. And they came to John. And they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, he's baptizing. And everybody's going to him now. It's kind of like I'm sure that the, the staff at Wendy's when Chick-fil-A opened across the street, right? They're like, hey, Dave everybody's going to Chick-fil-A. Like, what's up with that? I'm sure Dave was like, well, it's the holy chicken sandwich. Like, how do you argue with that, right? Like, how do you not go to Chick-fil-A? But he's like, what's going on? And and this is really hard. It's really hard to see somebody else experience success after you've experienced it. I think it's going on with John's disciples. I mean, some of you have been there, right? Like, you may have been the greatest salesperson in your company, but now there's a new hotshot. And you're like, man, Frustrated about that, or, or 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 maybe there's another situation going on in, in your business. It hasn't has been as strong as it was coming out of the pandemic. And you're like, God, what's going on? Like, God, how come my business isn't back? And somebody else's is. Or, or maybe you're not being recognized at work or in a situation at home, like you think you should be, and it stings, doesn't it? You guys, anybody ever been there? You know, as a pastor. We experience this too as church leaders. You know, we want to help people find and follow Jesus. We want to help people experience new life in Jesus, but yet you look down the road and you see a church that's really doing great and you kind of wonder like, God, what are they doing that we're not? And you could drive yourself crazy thinking those thoughts, right? And and you can get off of the calling that God has put on your life because you're trying to do something somebody else is doing because you want to experience the success that they're experiencing. I think John's disciples... Experience something that we all experience. Hey, why is he getting all the, the people now? But we're not. And I needed to hear, and I think you guys do too, what John says back. Notice what John says back in verse 29. He says this. He says, The person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He said, man, when your buddy gets married, like, you shouldn't be down that you're not getting married. You should be thankful that your buddy is getting married. And he's saying the same thing about us. Like, in our lives, like, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given by God. See, see, the reality is we live in a broken world, as we've said today. And the part of this is if we're not careful, there's this little thing that happens inside of us when our friends experience success or our coworkers experience success or your sister gets that new car or your your buddy gets to take that free trip and all of a sudden you get a little jealousy and a little envy and that jealousy and envy can grow and the next thing you know, it's wrecked you. We gotta know that happens. Even as a believer, that's gonna happen because we have a sin nature. We're born in a broken world. And so what John is teaching us is something that's huge, And it's this, that we have to learn to be grateful for the gifts that God gives rather than expecting the gifts that God hasn't given yet. See, a lot of us are living in a world where we're just waiting on the gifts for God to give, and we're not being grateful for the gifts he's already given. We're like, God, why haven't you blessed me yet? God, why am I not living my dream yet? God, why am I not where I thought I would be 15 years ago yet? God would look back and John would say, Look at all of the experiences and blessings and good things that you've experienced. Why are you so anxious and worried and unhappy about thinking about these things you haven't gotten yet? Be grateful for the blessings that you've been given. And that means that if you're in a season of life where you're not experiencing what you experienced before, you can be grateful about those things. It doesn't mean your business isn't going to come back. You might not be the salesperson of the year again, but it does mean you've got so much to be grateful for. So John gives us a, a taste of this formula for how we can learn to put Jesus first. And it's learning to be grateful for the gifts that God gives rather than expecting them. This has the power, the power to change your life because I know it's, it's changed mine. So what gifts in your life right now do you need to be thankful for that God has given you? So notice what John says next though. This is, this is the key. This is it. If you've got your Bible, highlight it, star it, circle it, whatever. John says this. He says, My joy is complete. So, he must increase and I must decrease. See, John is saying that Jesus needs to be number one. Like, my joy is complete because I'm with the bridegroom. Like, Jesus is the groom and he's here and he's the one I came to be with. And he thankfully asked me to be his friend. And so now I need to put Jesus first and make him number one because that's what it's all about. So he says, Jesus, you're number one. I don't need to be. See, this is. Reality of life and it's this, if you're taking notes, that we were designed to give glory to God and not grab it for ourselves. We're so good at trying to grab it for ourselves. We were created. You were designed to live in the garden with God, and you were designed to live in a place where your life brought glory to God through the things you said, did, and thought. And right now, a lot of us are very frustrated because we're not where we think we should be, or we're not... We think things should be better or we're not being recognized or maybe we took a step back and we just keep thinking, I would be happy if, fill in the blank, and John says, no, you would not. The only way that you'll be happy, joyful, peaceful, fulfilled, and blessed is by putting Jesus first because that's what leads to joy. So I know all of you love math, so I'm going to give you a formula, okay? Get out your calculators and your notepads and your little... Piece of paper with the graph dots. You guys, anybody else realize how impossible it is to write on that paper, by the way? You know, that graph paper? Whatever. But anyways, I got an equation for you, okay? How do we learn from John the Baptist? And how do we learn to experience fulfillment and joy in life? Well, I'm going to show you an equation. This is a math equation. Distance equals rate times time. Right? Does that make sense? You guys get this? So here's an equation. So if you're out with your kayak and you're kayaking across Chatfield Reservoir, the faster you kayak over time increases your distance. Right? So like if you're driving in your car across the state of Kansas, the faster you can get across Kansas, the better. Right? Why? Because you're going to get to Missouri. Right? Casey Barbecue. Right? Nothing against Kansas, Karina. Sorry, Darren, wherever you are. But like the idea, like the faster the rate Over time, the further that you'll go. So let's turn this into a math equation for our faith. How about this one? Here it is. F equals JT minus M. Anybody want to guess what that means? Write that down because here's what it means. Fulfillment equals Jesus times time minus me. The more time I spend with Jesus, and the less time I spend thinking about me the greater my fulfillment will be. See, here's the reality for you non-math people. Write this down. The more time you spend focusing on Jesus, and the less time we spend focusing on me is what leads to fulfillment. This is what John said. This is what John did. And John was right. And for those of you that are a little further along in your walk than us, you've experienced it too. Because, man, when I spend all my time thinking about me, I'm just miserable. But when I learn to spend my time thinking about Jesus, there's something that stirs up inside me that cannot be explained. It's like when Jesus says in Matthew 6, focus first on the kingdom of God and all these things that you want, that you're stressed about, that you're anxious about, will be given to you. That's what John said right here. So I, here, here's what I want to do. I want to invite um, Karina back on stage, and I want to just wrap this up for us. I want to give you some keystone habits. If you're taking notes, or if you're not taking notes, put them in your phone. Here's three keystone habits that I truly believe will make an impact on your life. First one is this. Make your bed, right? Start by making your bed. Actually, here's the first one. Spend time with Jesus. Like Literally, spend time with, with Jesus. You know, if, if you think about your relationship with your wife, or your kids, or whatever, if you never spend any time together, how's that relationship going to be? Like, if you want to get to know somebody, what do you need to do? You spend time with them. And so for us, the first way that we can stop spending time thinking about me is to spend time with him. And you can do this a lot of ways. You guys are doing it right now by being here on Sunday mornings. You can do it by a Bible devotional. You do it through your quiet time in the morning or in the evening or at lunch, whenever it is. But you're spending time with Jesus. And that takes away the time that you would spend thinking about yourself or surfing online for your thousandth pair of sandals, right? Thinking about Jesus. Second one is this, second keystone habit. Remember, these things build on each other. Second one is this, learn about God. If you asked me about my wife, hey, tell me about Courtney. And I said, well, she's got brown eyes. Well, hold on, another green. And she loves Fettuccine Alfredo. Wait, I think it's spaghetti, right? And she loves going to the beach. No, actually, she hates the beach. She loves the mountains. You'd go, do you even know your wife at all? If somebody asks you about Jesus, what do you know about him? Do you know enough about him? where you think you know him. You got to spend time with him, but you need to learn about him. And, and you learn about him by being part of Bible studies. And you learn about him by being in teaching environments like this. Learn about God. How are you going to learn more about God this week? How are you going to spend more time with Jesus this week? And here's the third one. Connect with other believers. Like The reality is, for us to transfer time from me to him, I have to change how I spend my time. And so during the week when I'm connected with other believers, it's that opportunity for other people to stir up in me what God is doing in my life. It's an opportunity for me to hear what God is doing in your life, and therefore I'm spending more time thinking about God than I am about me. And we do this through life groups, guys. And so out in the lobby today, I encourage you guys, go. If you're not in a life group, please. It's what you need. It's what we all need. Sign up for one. You'll be so glad you did. Because Keystone Habits... They impact everything about our lives. And if we can build these habits on top of each other, we're going to find that that is how we experience peace and fulfillment and joy, which is something I know we all want. So forefront, let's be people that that have stopped trying to grab glory for ourselves and start giving it to God and realize that I can be thankful for the gifts that God has given me even when things look pretty lean because I know the one who gives life.